I think that Beethoven has such a unique revolutionary sound. He does things harmonically. He does things with dynamics, with rhythm, with colors within the different instruments. For example, in the beginning of the Act One finale, you have just one held note, and then a bassoon will slowly start to do this, and then the clarinets join, and then everybody starts to join, and then you have this amazing men's chorus. And what Beethoven is able to do with that crescendoing of dynamics, with rhythms, with different instrument colors, is create this feeling of absolute joy within your belly, and he is evoking what you're seeing on stage, which is these prisoners who are seeing light. Revolutionary times call for revolutionary music. When Napoleon Bonaparte looked like a great liberator, Beethoven was all over it. He sat down and wrote a huge symphony. It was bigger, louder, and more magnificent than any symphony that had come before. And Bonaparte was inscribed at the top of the title page. And then... Napoleon snatched the crown from the Pope and put it right on top of his own head. Beethoven was crushed. He tore up the original title page of that third symphony and gave it a new name, Eroica. That was in the year 1803, the same year he started writing his first and only opera. I'm Marin Lazian, and this is He Sang, She Sang from Classical New York, WQXR. We heard the voice of Jessica Phillips, second clarinetist with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. Later in the program, we'll speak with Adrian Pisanka, who's singing the role of Leonora. And the opera we're talking about, the opera where the music evokes that feeling of absolute joy, is Fidelio. It took Beethoven more than 10 years to settle on a final draft. He went through a few revisions, and he kept trying to get it right, because this opera was about more than just the music to Beethoven. It was about freedom. It was about the triumph of goodness over tyranny. And maybe more than anything else, it was about people. Ordinary people fighting for what's right. Fidelio was written at the same time that Rossini was composing some of his most famous operas, including Tancredi and L'Italiana in Algeri, two great composers working at exactly the same time. Since the Met Orchestra has also played a few Rossini operas this season, I asked Jessica Phillips if she sees any similarities in the music of these two titans of early romantic music. Not for me, no. I mean, I guess... 
in Rossini, you have the voice with all of these fireworks, essentially. And we're kind of going, and maybe we're playing along with the voice or answer and call. But this opera, Fidelio, is symphonic. And it's incredibly difficult for the singers. In terms of other aspects of Rossini and Beethoven, the sheer volume that we bring in that symphonic aspect is is completely different. And it's a different style. We play so light, we accompany. But in this, we're really a voice, too. We're, we're that emotion. The way that I think of it is we are the emotion that the audience is feeling. It's somehow it's there. Right. And that's really interesting. Rossini's music is music written for the human voice. It's music for singers. And it's challenging because it has challenging vocal lines. And that's kind of the point. With Beethoven's opera, Fidelio, the challenges come not from the, the vocal lines, not from the writing that's for the vocal music exactly, but because the singers are singing over such a rich orchestral sound. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I don't I don't envy any of them up there, but we have an amazing cast right now. And and also we have such amazing musicians in the pit as well. One of Leonora's great arias where she's actually taking down her guard as Fidelio and and having a, a private moment with the audience as Leonora uh, is accompanied by three horns and a bassoon that are also vocalizing along with her. And that's incredibly difficult music, um, but it allows them to also showcase their talents as well as Leonora in that moment. spoken dialogue in this opera, which, you know, it's not, not the most common thing, more common in German opera than in others, but not, not the recit that we're used to hearing where there is accompanied music and people are singing. Does, is that something that strikes you as strange, having the singers stop on stage, stop their singing and start speaking to each other? <laughs> right. You, you know, I played this opera when I first joined the Met Orchestra, and it felt like, oh, I want to keep playing, you know, uh, like, wah, you know, why are they talking? And, and I, you know, I was worried about my clarinet getting cold and the reeds drying out. And, of course, you know, I'm just I'm just terrified learning all this new music. And now, uh, 16 years later, it's such a moment of absolute commonness, the, the conversations that they're having. And it has its own sing-song quality. I think Beethoven was so proud of that. And it doesn't really need a harpsichord. That would have been so passé by then, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so then again, that revolutionary aspect to what Beethoven was trying to do. And for me, as a listener, 
I don't know if if you know where I sit, Marin, but I sit basically right underneath the stage, and I cannot see anything. I have the worst <laughs> seat in the entire house. I say I can always see the front row and everybody laughing and smiling, which is a, a gr- gives me great joy. You got the restricted view, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but now that spoken dialogue is almost like the ginger and sushi. It it cleanses your palate from what came before because. All of those uh, those arias are really almost symphonic pieces in of themselves. I mean, they're not um, complete, but they do get you to think about what just happened. Jetzt, Schätzchen, jetzt sind wir allein. Wir können vertraulich planen. Another thing that comes to mind for me is Marcelina and Chokino's uh, duet in the beginning where he's in love with her and she's not in love with him, she's in love with Fidelio. And it's so common, it happens, you know, I mean, men and women, right? (laughs) But so then you get this little pause of this spoken dialogue. And you can kind of reflect. You have this meditative moment where you have space between that and what happens next. And I think that that happens throughout the opera so effectively. Now that I'm a little bit more mature (laughs) and I can understand it better, I I love that aspect of it, the spoken dialogue. Yeah. I also love the way that you tie it to commonness and and Beethoven's revolutionary spirit. Mm Mm-hmm. This is about the people rising up over political tyranny. Its sympathies lie with these people, not with the people who have this ultimate power. And Beethoven is not Mozart. Beethoven is not Handel. You're right. That harpsichord for him probably did seem pretty passe. So it brings all of that together. It brings the strides he was making in music to the fore. And even though this was his one opera, you still see in it some of what made him the revolutionary that he was, which is incredible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about people, real scholars call this his middle period. And he had already written the Fifth Symphony, the Sixth Symphony. So we, everybody knows the Fifth, right? Da-da-da-da. Exactly. Yeah. And that has a revolutionary spirit to it as well. But Fidelio is so timeless. And I think all great operas have that sense of timelessness. And the politics of this, whatever you believe your own personal politics are, this is a tale for today. You think so? Absolutely. The the idea that your darkest hour is the hour right before dawn, that, that can appeal to anybody who's had to struggle over whatever obstacles that they're facing, no matter what. It's about the lengths that someone will go to to save the person that she loves. It's about heroism and fidelity. I I mean, it's right there in the title, Fidelio. Oh, yeah. You know, in our current production, which is not new, but we haven't had it for a long time, the curtain says, and and forgive my German here, (laughs) um, Wahre Liebe fürchtet nicht, which basically is... True love is not afraid. And I just, I love that. Courage.
We're listening to Deborah Voigt singing with the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra. Sir Colin Davis is conducting. We're sampling a recording of Beethoven's only contribution to the opera world, Fidelio. Later, we'll hear from Adrian Pisanka, the soprano who sings the role of Leonora in the Metropolitan Opera production. Right now, I'm speaking with clarinetist Jessica Phillips, a member of the Met Opera Orchestra. You mentioned before these revisions, and I'd love to talk some more about that. How many revisions were there? How many times did Beethoven go back to the to the drawing board with this opera? I think there's like two revisions, and then this is the third. Um, and of course, there's several overtures, and and then I think he wrote another. Leonora Overture, that's more of a concert version, much later. So I think it's something that he really worked on a lot. There's letters of him saying, you know, I'm going to be a martyr for having to struggle through this. It was so <laughs> hard, you know. I mean, it's funny. He he wrote this one opera, but he wrote it several times. So maybe we should give him credit for uh, for another two or three just on top <laughs> in terms of the time and investment he put in. Exactly. Do you think it was worth it? Do you think this is a good opera? I think there are some mixed feelings about how great it actually is. What do you think? How do you feel about it? I love it. I mean, we never get to play it. It's interesting because as musicians in conservatory or school or training, we learn all of Beethoven's symphonic repertoire. But not the opera, really. Trumpet players may know the tr- offstage cr- trumpet call, but um, we don't really learn Fidelio in school. As a clarinet player, I know intimately Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, I know the Eighth Symphony, but this is his only opera. And for us to be able to perform this, it's such a joy and an honor and something totally different because there is just nothing like it in our repertoire. So there's nothing like it. Why not? You know, right now, we're performing Idomeneo. We're performing Traviata. We just finished Rusalka a little bit ago. We're rehearsing Rosencavalier. We are rehearsing Onegin. We're practicing uh, Die Fliegender Hollander. So you can see that it's not our normal rotational opera. Uh, I think maybe because we studied the symphonies. We have love for Beethoven already, so they were a little starved in that area. (laughs) (laughs) But I think there are such beautiful moments in this. One of my favorites is the first quartet, Mir Esso Wunderbar. Marcelina starts off this conversation that everything is just so wonderful. I'm just so filled with emotion. Forgive my my German translation. (laughs) (laughs) It's working for me. And then Fidelio slash Leonora is saying, oh, no, Marcelina is falling in love with me. This is not good, you know, and everybody starts to sing along. And I think, first of all, again, the strings start off with these very beautiful harmonic chords. And then when Marcelina starts to sing, it's, and I'm not biased here, but it is a two clarinet solely. (laughs) Absolutely neutral. (laughs) Totally neutral.
it's just simple harmony underneath her singing. And it's such an amazing moment because she is just talking about this joy. I mean, everybody knows what it feels like to all of a sudden be like absolutely, totally in love with someone. And you have no idea yet that it's not going to be returned <laughs> or that this person is gender is bending fact, and is, yeah. in, is in fact a woman. And, I've you know, often been surprised <laughs> right, and it very happens. confused. It does. Contemporary again. Yes. <laughs> it's it brings joy straight to you, this love, and then what is love? And that drives this drama forward. And Rocco is saying, you know, but you need money too. And again, Leonora gets to say, yeah, no, it's devotion, it's love, that's all I really need. And that's true, that's true for her. And so you get to think about, well, what is love for you? And the music makes it happen. Well, we've got to hear some of that. Mm-hmm. Are there any other musical moments that really stand out for you? Yes, I know, and and many of my colleagues and I will remark about this in the in in our intermission locker room banter. But when the prisoners, the men's chorus comes out, and they get to see the light of day uh, in this moment where Fidelio has convinced Rocco to to let them come out, it's just a stunning moment. It just every time it gets me. One of the great moments in Beethoven's opera, Fidelio, when the prisoners are brought up from the dungeon, out of the darkness and into the light. Sir Colin Davis conducting the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. 
My guest is Jessica Phillips, clarinetist from the Met Opera Orchestra, and we're talking about Beethoven's Fidelio. Now, you mentioned your current repertory is full of several different operas. You're rehearsing, you're performing, there are a few things going on all at once. And this brings to mind how busy you must be as a Met Opera Orchestra member. I'd love to hear a little bit about a day in the life for you, because I I imagine it's something that people are really curious about, and we never get to see behind that curtain. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right now, this spring season is, I think, a level of difficulty of about 9.8. <laughs> it's really hard. On the Opera Richter scale. Exactly. Um, a day in the life. It's We have a, a very unusual schedule in that we do have seven shows a week, two on Saturday, and we, uh, our season runs from essentially September to June, and we finish off with these three weeks of concerts in Carnegie Hall, which are incredibly difficult, but also totally fulfilling. It it uh, it exercises that symphonic aspect part of our brain. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, what goes on in between? Uh, is a system of rotation and rehearsing operas before they premiere the week before usually and then we might not rehearse those again if we even if we get a new cast um the other night in Idomeneo actually we had a new soprano and no rehearsal so throw in a different cast and we need to follow them and we may not have had a rehearsal sometimes we do sometimes we don't and what i think that does for us is we know how to listen. And pretty much we will follow the singer wherever they want to go. And I think that's what makes our orchestra one of the most amazing orchestras. I sometimes just sit and listen in awe of my colleagues. And what we do, we, where we stretch time or we we wait for a singer to hold the, the high be especially tenors. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, tenors. Sorry, tenors. And it's lovely. And we go, oh, my God, wow. And we, we wait for them to breathe. And they m- might not phrase the same way as somebody else. And we listen to that. And because of that, we listen to each other. Yeah. And there can be little snafus here and there, but I think we have an uncanny ability to get it back together like that. You know, it's just, it's pretty amazing. So I think it's part of that, the nature of listening to voice, but also this intense schedule, which keeps us on our toes all the time. Right. That requires an extraordinary amount of sensitivity on the part of lots of people all at the same time. (laughs) And it, it brings up an interesting point. I think that we often think about the perspective of the singer. If you have someone stepping in at the last moment who hasn't had the chance to rehearse or a new cast that hasn't had the chance to rehearse, in some ways it's really obvious that that's a challenge for the singers. But it's important to remember that there are all of these people down in the pit, too, that haven't had the benefit of working with whoever's on stage. Plus, you have the added challenge of not actually being able to see them. Mm -hmm. And so, as you said, that requires such intense listening. And I I can only imagine how tight that makes you as a collective. Yeah, it's (laughs) you have to like that challenge. There is a beautiful moment in Don Carlo where the clarinet is accompanying Elisabetta and she just does a very simple triplet melody down. And the clarinet, of course, cannot see her. (laughs) And so I've had a conductor who cued me to come in, and she was not singing yet. And I just had to wait for her without 
knowing where she was going to come in or being able to see her. And luckily for me, uh, she was right at the front of the stage, and I could literally hear this. And okay, I thought, okay, now I know what she's going to play. And so that's all I got. And, but you have to like that talent. Yep. And if you have a conductor who can anticipate that, even better. I'm wondering if the conductor makes a really big difference for you. And you don't, you don't need to name <laughs> names or anything. But, you know, it can look like there's just someone up there waving their arms around. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that's not really the case. So I'm wondering for you and for the orchestra, how much of a difference does whoever's standing on the podium make for you? You know, that is a fascinating question. I, I, I mean, how much time do you have today? <laughs> In three minutes or less. <laughs> um, the conductor can beat time and keep everybody together. An amazing conductor will elevate that beyond and make it a joy and let you do what you want to do. He'll also, he or she, we, we've had a female conductor finally this year, yes. Susanna Malky. They'll let you craft your phrasing the way you want to do it. And it's a, it's a partnership. You're working together, uh, open communication and dialogue with music, which I think is an incredible thing. Uh, opera conductors are traffic cops, but they also, the good ones, anticipate and never bog the singer down. And they also know levels of dynamics so that we're not covering the singer, too, which is a really important thing, actually. So, and then, you know, you add in just good humor and nice, nice personality (laughs) and good hair. (laughs) (laughs) That definitely helps. Absolutely matters. We've heard some thoughts about Beethoven's only opera, Fidelio, from Met Orchestra clarinetist Jessica Phillips. But I wanted to get a singer's perspective on the opera, too. So I went up to the Met to speak with soprano Adrian Pisanka, who's singing the role of Leonora, or Fidelio, or you know. I asked her to tell me about the best musical moments. I'll work backwards, I think, in the finale, where she presents Florestan to the minister, who can't believe that he's seeing his friend in this terrible state who was unjustly imprisoned, and he quickly says, okay, we're going to release him. Um, Rocco thinks that he's going to be the one that releases him, but he says, just a moment, I want this woman, Leonora, to be the one that frees her husband, and that's probably the most special um, moment and also musically it's just a genius musical line from Beethoven Um, it's sort of like this angelic moment where time stops and I'm not sure is it an oboe that has this sort of beautiful raised line and and a kind of interval that we're not expecting and I have the words oh Gott oh Gott welch ein Augenblick which is oh God what a moment Thank you. 
and it's truly sublime. It's truly humbling that she gets to, you know, free to take off the shackles, to, to release her husband. And I think a lot of people mention that that's their favorite moment. And what then uh, follows that is the beautiful chorale where the chorus comes in, um, in this beautiful, beautiful prayer, basically. The other thing that comes to mind, just speaking about the opera and maybe another big iconic moment musically is the Prisoner's Chorus, yeah. which is where time stands still and these prisoners all get let out from the dungeon. Unfortunately, Floristan isn't among them. I sort of searched through each one, but these poor men are let out. They're blinded by the light. They're weak. They're sort of crippled. And they sing this most heavenly, beautiful, again, almost like a prayer, which starts very softly and builds. And um, I think, again, if you polled people, that's probably one of the most famous moments of the piece. And then, of course, the famous aria, Abscheulicha, where she sort of cottoned on that Pizarro is up to no good. That she is sort of committed to really being a heroine and she's going to go to every length to find and uh, save her husband.
so it's just a real tour de force. It's a, it's a challenging aria. I don't think there's any soprano that sort of does it lightly. It's got sort of fireworks. It's got beautiful lyric moments with a gorgeous recitative. So that's, those are sort of just three wonderful, wonderful moments for me. So you mentioned that this is it's challenging to sing this role. Are there moments that you just think to yourself, ah, oh, Beethoven, he was such a genius, but he didn't understand the human voice. You know, I've, I've kind of, you know, gone in and out of my feelings about it, and I think I'm feeling rather good in my vocality at the moment. <laughs> so it, it, I think it sometimes depends on how confident I feel as a singer, and, you know, as we, we go through phases where maybe our technique is more sound than others. So I feel quite strong technically and vocally at the moment. So therefore, I feel I've got a good grasp on it. There have been times singing this opera where I maybe haven't felt so confident. And then it truly is like, oh, my goodness, I, you know, I know what's up, you know, coming next. And it just feels like a scream fest, you know, <laughs> um, that it really feels like it's my limit. And luckily, at the moment, I feel more in control of things. But yes, you know, we knew that Beethoven was hard of hearing, really was quite deaf uh, at the end of his life. And whether, you know, he wrote in this way that was maybe not... Mm, a, a more hearing person might have recognized that it was almost sort of impossible. And if we take the tenor aria, Welch um, Dunkel here, that's another killer aria for the tenor. It lies, um, just got a myriad of challenges. And, um, you know, it can leave one's, you know, to scratch their head thinking, my goodness, you know, who can sing this kind of repertoire? But there are people that can, which proves that it can be done. And I do love it. also wanted to know if there were any moments in Fidelio that reminded Adrian of Beethoven's most famous works. And she mentioned that the finale reminds her of one piece I think you might recognize. And there are moments of Beethoven Ninth, I think, sort of the chorus the, the finale of, uh, of Fidelio reminds me very much of the finale to Ode, Ode to Joy, um, that sort of frenetic, um, almost chaotic, but, but jo- overjoyful uh, moment where the chorus is singing at full pelt, the soloists are singing high, full, and it's very exciting. <laughs> That was soprano Adrian Pisanko, who's singing the role of Leonora in Beethoven's Fidelio at the Metropolitan Opera. The recordings we've been enjoying on this program featured Deborah Voigt as Leonora, Ben Hepner as Florestan, Matthias Höhle as Rocco, 
Elizabeth Norberg Schultz as Marcelina and Michael Schada as Giacchino, and the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra and Chorus conducted by Sir Colin Davis. You can learn more and find a couple of YouTube videos on our show page at wqxr.org. And while you're there, go ahead, leave us a comment, and even subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your audio. He Sang, She Sang is a production of Classical New York, WQXR. I'd like to thank our guests, Jessica Phillips and Adrian Pisanka, and our producer, Noel Morris. I'm Marin Lazian. Thank you for listening. <laughs>